COVID-19 vaccination walk-in appointments are now available at Meyer. We have limited supply available at every store. Check with your pharmacist to see if we have a dose available for you. If you would like to schedule an appointment, you can still do so by texting COVID to 75049 or by visiting clinic.meyer.com. With walk-in appointments, we're making COVID-19 vaccinations more accessible in your community. Learn more at your local Meyer Pharmacy or visit clinic.meyer.com today. Hey, I'm David Eliku, and this is The Knowledge a place for discussing big ideas and pressing issues. Each week, I'll be joined by a variety of incredibly interesting individuals for learnings, musings and discerning chinwags on everything you need to know to navigate the world around you. This week, you'll hear my discussion with news reporter and journalist Ade Onibada. We had a lovely discussion about the role of media in society, the importance of journalistic integrity, and the widening gap between the right and the left. You can find Ade on social media at Sincerely Ade. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you like this episode and share it with a friend. So I always tell people I fell into journalism by accident. Um, I thought I was going to become a lawyer. Interesting. Yes, because that was my, that was mummy's dream. Okay. Um, she wants to be like, my daughter is a lawyer. So um, I thought I was going to become a lawyer. Is this before you went to university? Yes. Okay. Yes, this was before I went to university. Um, and then I was studying politics at sixth form, okay. along with English and business. And I got to do so like, like some taster courses. Uh, so like taste the lectures to kind of get an idea of what university's like. Yeah. I went to a few around London and I went to a law lecture and I was like, God, this is not for me. So on having that experience, I kind of did like a U-turn and came back and I was like, I cannot do three years of law, like three years plus of law, actually, because it's not just three <laughs> years of that. Yeah. I cannot do three years plus of law. Like I'll be miserable. I can already tell. Hmm. So I was doing my Googles and it kind of came up that I should do politics. So somewhere along the lines of the research, like studying a politics degree seemed like the most sensible thing um, because after the politics degree, there's so many options. So even if I did wanted to, let's say, U-turn and converge into law, that option was still available to me. So I discussed it. My, my politics teacher was absolutely amazing woman who really, really encouraged me and really supported me and stood by me. And she was like, I think you'd be a brilliant politics student because um, she enjoyed teaching me so much. So I ended up going to the University of Bristol where I studied politics, got a politics degree. Um, while I was doing my degree, I was kind of like back and forth. So I'm from South London. So I was frequently like back and forth between uni and home. Um, and I grew up in Brixton. And around the corner from Brixton, there was this publication called Live Magazine that was adjoined to an agency called Liberty. And what they typically did, they had an open door policy where young people were able to come in, use their internet, eat pizza, and just vibe and I did it quite frequently on and off in my downtime from uni and even before that because it was just one of those things that you know quote unquote keeps you out of trouble yeah gave you something to do and while we were there they kind of got us into this practice of pitching for the magazine because it was a quarterly 
yeah, a quarterly magazine. So four editions every year and you'd have a front cover. So I got my first look into how a publication was running at that time. And to support it, they had mentors from the Guardian newspaper. You know how they do their thing where it's like, let's help some poor kids. Yeah. So the Guardian would routinely send out two of their journalists to come and work alongside the young people. Um, and I think it was one summer I jokingly said like, I think we got into a conversation about feminism and I was just like, I'm a feminist and I enjoy Bashman or something like that. And I think one of the editors challenged me, like, isn't Bashman like really um, misogynistic and, you know, really anti-women? And I was like, yeah, but then there are um, talents like Lady Saw who kind of like owns it. And I was just like, at the end of the day, like I grew up in South, I grew up here. Like I hear Bashman, there used to be a store called Red Records that would play reggae, Bashman, um, blast it through Brixton High Street like that's what I grew up on that was my soundtrack as well as you know the Afrobeats the King Sunny Addy the and stuff like that in your household so it really started getting my brain working so basically they commissioned me to write a piece and they were like write a piece about being a feminist who enjoys bashment and when I submitted that the feedback was you could you know they the, both the the mentors were kind of like have you considered a career in journalism and I was like no not really I just come here for pizza and wi-fi and they're like, if you take it seriously, that like, this is something you could really do. So I guess they first kind of planted the idea in my head. Um, and from that, I just started thinking more broadly about working in the media in general, because I kind of, it kind of became clear just how powerful and how intrinsic it was to daily society and forming opinions. So I was kind of like, all right, cool. Let's see uh, how this goes. And just from one thing to another, I kind of hustled my way into, um, I, I don't even know if I'd call it an internship. It was kind of like a, crash course into journalism where I worked I ended up working at The Voice um for it started off as like unpaid work so it's like they covered my expenses because I was just kind of like <clears throat> like just let me come in like I promise you I'll be good and I met with the news editor who was just like you can come for two weeks if you're good you can stay and if not you gotta go um and two weeks turned into a couple months a couple months turned into a year and before I knew it I was like working there full time um, by the time I graduated so I did that for two years um, and in the, that time as well I also learned a bit about freelancing so I got a lot of really great opportunities with like Red Bull, Cosmopolitan, Huffington Post um, and subsequently BuzzFeed News where I'm at now um, and yeah it's just been like one opportunity after another taking opportunities learning where I can um, and my experience is now kind of spread across radio. I also did represent radio, shout out to represent radio again, another community based project that really um, gave me a leg up. Um, and, and when people talk about like diversity schemes and initiatives, sometimes I'm just like, I I'm very cautious about them. Um, most of my opportunities have been from very community based things that weren't like a one off gimmick. These were people who were rooted in our communities and um, really committed to giving young people a genuine opportunity. So Large Up Live magazine, Represent Radio, um, did some TV work as well. Uh, I did an investigative journalism training scheme with dispatchers at Channel 4. Um, again, another brilliant opportunity. And that's kind of like just led to me being this quite broad news reporter-like figure. Um, uh, just, yeah. To writing about what things that interest me trying to put out content that i think will interest the internet people in in everyday life and yeah that's just really what i'm about
That's really interesting. I feel I like think. I just rambled for long. <laughs> if you're still listening, shout out to you. No, no, no. I think it's it's really good because you've had such a varied experience mm. um, and being able to work at a variety of publications, to, discussing and looking into different types of topics from different perspectives as well. Mm. I mean, how much of an impact, you touched on it to be fair, but do you think being able to work at like community-based organizations had on your ability to get the other opportunities like do you think that was a key and then on the flip side how difficult did you find it going from opportunity to opportunity particularly within news where from the perspective that I've gotten from speaking to you previously Mm. it does seem very much dominated by (laughs) you know yeah um so those community opportunities were absolutely intrinsic like I will never downplay how important they were as far as giving me a a leg up in my career um because first and foremost they were safe spaces and I see that phrase used a lot quite often and sometimes used incorrectly um and by safe space what I mean was what I mean is that they were a space where I was able to fail and and fail try again fail again try again fail again try again and sometimes in this industry you don't get many opportunities to fail yeah um especially as a black journalist as an Asian journalist depending on or as a woman depending on where you where you are in the it's very diverse spectrum. Um, you don't always often get opportunities to get it wrong. So in both those contexts, I was able, whether it was Represent Radio, Liberty, even to some degree at The Voice, like that, there was this kind of soft padding that allowed me to A, do things that I probably would never get a chance to do if I was in a maybe a bigger organisation and you're just like another number or just like a, oh, that's just the work experience kid that's here for two weeks, send her out for coffee. Mm. None of these things were coffee runs. I'll say that for facts. Working at The Voice was not a coffee run. It was literally being plunged in at the deep end. Um, And they gave me my look in and allowed me to get some incredible bylines. Um, Like I can say I've interviewed Sadiq Khan. I've been on the campaign train with Sadiq Khan. I've been at a, you know, a a general election count. And I've done all of this stuff that some people don't get the opportunity to do that. But because we were strapped for resources, you got to go when you was at The Voice. You who else if not you um so it's it's definitely been critical as far as giving me these opportunities and are there what are the particular skills that you think make you successful as a journalist in general um to start with i guess it's just the plain old i'm nosy i think that's the that's the like stripped down version i'm nosy the the fancy version is i'm inquisitive i i like i question things i like to ask questions um I was a why kid to my mum's displeasure like I was very much a why why is it like that why does this happen um the why is the who's I ask questions all the time um and I think staying curious like almost like a childlike curiosity keeping that up is is a big part of journalism and kind of being committed for me as well being committed to truth and transparency I always talk about those two t's as being um what underpins what I what I do truth and transparency um where I can more so for my community um and I don't know I I feel like I've seen a lot of I've seen what happens when stories get hijacked or people's truths get hijacked and and the damage and and the ramifications of that so one of the things that I guess guides me in terms of principles is like how can I be the best possible journalist that anytime I speak to someone they feel that that they can trust me with their truth 
Um, and that's the only way that I feel like I can tell the best possible stories, especially when it is on like interview levels or on more heavier topics or heavier situations. Yeah, that's a really good segue though, because even when you were talking about just how stories can get hijacked or different directions, mm. stories can go in and things like that, especially considering recent events with um, the death of Caroline Flack. Mm. Um, I think media seems to be, or traditional news media seems to be in a very weird place Spiraling. right now. <laughs> yeah, no, because first of all, on one hand, you have incidents like what happened with Caroline Flack where, you know, people look into and dissect the abuse that she received, mm. how the media was looking into her lives. And there's been other, loads of other events in the past where even with Piers Morgan, for example, mm. or with everything that's happening at the Telegraph and yeah. also the Sun and the ways in which a lot of these generally more so on the tabloid side, but, you know, news and the media in general, because yeah. there's also been plenty of incidences with the BBC yeah. where maybe they'll report on something and the way they've presented it is perhaps seen as biased or perhaps seen as kind of favoring a particular political agenda. Yeah. Um, and then also on the election side, where there's a lot of there's a lot of questions raised about how much we can trust the media, how mm. fair and unbiased is it really? Mm. I mean, what's your perspective from behind the scenes on that? It's always quite funny because when people say, you know, oh, blame the media, blame the media, uh, as if we're not people. I guess there's media as as the sum of all these individual agents, of yes, which yeah. I am one. And then there is media as this big, I guess this big idea, this mm. big machinery. Um, and will I, I can say quite candidly, the big machinery can be very toxic and is in need of an overhaul, in a, in desperate need of an overhaul. Um, it, it It's not sustainable to building a, a positive, I want to say a positive society. As far as biases are concerned, I'll definitely say like, any news reporter that wants to claim to be unbiased, in my opinion, is lying. Okay. I think, generally speaking, we can report the objective truth, but any reporter that, you know, approaches a situation and acts like they don't have an opinion mm. um, is lying. We're literally in this business because we're, we're the opinionated assholes, essentially. Like, to be quite simplistic, like, yeah. we're, the, we're the overly opinionated folk who are nosy as well. We have too many opinions and, we, and we're too nosy and you bring those two together and you have a journalist. Um, so I, I'm not, I don't buy into this idea that anybody is unbiased. Generally speaking, like straight news reporting allows for that. But even still, like just choosing a different adjective changes the narrative. Yeah. Cho choosing a different picture changes the story. I think um, just the other day, there was the story of this, a man who burnt his family alive yes i saw that in a car and it's quite interesting the choice of pictures that are being mm. used the, the choice the framing of the headlines and this is there, there, there is no there's no room for like where there shouldn't be like this room for interpretation because it's like it's a clear cut this man set a car alight with himself and his kids in it but somehow you've managed to frame him as this doting father who was in this inter internal anguish. And as, and that's just done with very few devices. And that, and that's someone behind the desk who's consciously made that decision. And it might not necessarily be the reporter directly themselves. Sometimes it's the editor. Sometimes it's the owner. And, you know, we always talk quite often of like kind of these media oligarchs 
who own a, mon- a monopoly of newspapers and tabloids and websites and TV stations. Um, and it works in their favor to shape the world in this particular way. And then, then you have like the little guys like me, I guess, who with my pen, quote unquote, like are trying as best as possible to be the difference in that, in that whole machinery. Hmm. But it's not easy because every day there's, I guess, th- a new tide of this that you're battling back against a new tide every single day. It's a really interesting point, especially just thinking about, because one thing I want to ask is what level you think the problem lies? Because actually, even when you were talking, I was even thinking about there's some bylines that I've had or things that I've submitted to publications or to news outlets or things like that, which have been published. And it's interesting because there's one particular occasion I remember. This was probably 2015. I wrote something about Kaepernick. This was, I think, pretty much, well, when I'd written it was around the same weekend as when he first started kneeling. Mm. And it probably came out like a month or so after that. But it was interesting because the entire tone, like when you actually read it when it's done and it's been edited the whole tone of everything that i wrote was completely different mm. and it almost didn't feel like it was the same thing even yeah. though the core of it was what i'd written but once you change like there's a few times if you change like we's to they's yeah. or you change some adjectives here and there or yeah. you change some of the phrasing suddenly it's a whole different yeah. thing and you almost want to take it back you're just yeah. like this isn't even what i was writing but i think on the flip side of that, I think sometimes people also do get the impression that with the Daily Mail, for example, there are occasions where there's one particular writer who seems to have an agenda for writing about a mm. particular person. Like Raheem Sterling is one of those examples that come up quite often. Yeah. Where there's definitely some writers where if you look at even just the things, the topics they write about, yeah, a lot of the time there's just one person that keeps cropping up yeah. and it seems like they're very much centered or targeted around one person. And so I think that kind of lends towards people thinking of media as like this big overarching thing because you never really know. Where do you apportion blame? Yeah, like is it the individual journalists that they are just hell bent on, you know, saying things or positioning things a particular way? Mm. Or do you think that for the most part, journalists are quite good hearted and maybe it's at like a (laughs) higher level where it's editors or it's other people? I'd like to, one thing I'd like to, I'd hope for, 2020 if or if people take anything away from this is, mm. is to really really um take a step back and caution themselves from using the title of journalist when okay. it's a columnist right okay that's interesting um journalists and columnists right. are not the same and uh, in my opinion and we have a lot of columnists posing as journalists and posing their opinions and their pieces and their output as credible journalism it's not in my opinion it's the equivalent of you writing bullshit in your diary um, it's just that you have a platform that's paying you X amount and you get to publish it on their site. Um, so opinion pieces do lend themselves to that that exact type of writing that you're talking about, where it's like people have clearly their own agenda, they have their own biases, their own opinions, and they seem to have a penchant for particular topics. Like yeah. they love a Meghan Markle piece or a hit piece, or they love a Raheem Sterling takedown piece. That's their thing. It gets them going. And it's all cyclical in my opinion. Like I am really, really, <laughs> I'm tired of, I'm even tired of telling people to stop doing it, if that makes sense, in terms of feeding this machinery or feeding that exact type of writer and output. Yeah. Every time 
your outrage fuels this and i'm sure it's been said over and over again and people think this is not the truth but it really it really is like we have had in the newsrooms that i've worked in we've had clear conversations about traffic equals money money traffic remove traffic money goes do you get and it's it literally is quite sim- quite a simple occasion um equation and time and time again we have the same columnists producing the same content because they know that they're going to get the exact they're not doing it for your applause and yeah. I, dare i say it, they're not even doing it for plaudits then they don't care if it's gonna win them awards at the you know journalism is if it's going to grab them a journalism gong or a columnist of the year that they're not that's not their interest ultimately your outrage fuels revenue that in turn allows them to charge higher money and say look how many clicks i get for your site i want x amount that's literally what you're doing because it's not for the good of mankind at all if it was they do it for free but they're not they're getting paid to put this content out but as you said there are instances where it is either the the editor and and sometimes i always tell people to be mindful especially as a freelancer when you're pitching and who you're going to how what is the general flavor of this website this newspaper this like this magazine what is the general essence of it because you will find a consistent thread that runs through it you have some publications that stand for you know social justice generally across the board and you can and if that's your if that's your thing if that's what you're pitching for the most part you can probably trust them to to maintain the integrity of your words and some people don't that's just the truth they stand for other things and depending on how far away removed like i always say don't pitch to places that you know you wouldn't a read or b you wouldn't work for or see yourself aligned with it doesn't make sense me pitching a column piece like saying i want to be a columnist for daily mail i the ideology of the daily mail and the ideology and my ideologies are not compatible it doesn't make sense i can't trust that anything i give them is going to remain intact when an editor decides to touch it because they need to spice it up to fit the general flavor of the site Hmm. so i always tell freelancers listen i know you want to get your money freelance game is hard sometimes you pitch where you got a pitch but don't be surprised if your words end up not essentially what you put through We'll be right back after this break. More than a photographer, you're a biographer writing the rules. This is your school of shadows of shudder. Every thought you utter is how you get into it with the XPS. Get into your universe at Dell.com slash XPS. Verified for exceptional experiences with Intel Evo platform. Do you think there's any onus or responsibility on the media platforms themselves for the colonists that publish under them or do you think that because of the money and the views and the eyes that they generate it's often worth the means to the end i can speak for myself Mm. but then i'm not in a position where i'm controlling people's pays who works here who what the finance for finance forecast for this quarter is i'm not my personal i don't have a personal struggle of how are we gonna you know ensure circulation is up right now like i don't deal with those day-to-day um challenges so i can't say how that process goes through where they make that decision and just like you know what get what's what's his name on the line we we need something hot that's gonna make it's gonna set the that's gonna break the internet 
I don't feel those pressures on a day-to-day basis. Primarily, I'm responsible for myself and myself alone. It's ensuring that my journalism is of a certain integrity that I can look my family in the face. I can walk, out, walk down the street and not get rushed. Um, and the internet's not going to try and drag my name through the mud. Yeah. That That's my only priority right now. Um, and that starts with me deciding I would rather work at X company rather than Y company. In all my years, no matter how hard things have been, I have never applied for a job at certain publications. Okay. Because I just would not be able to sleep at night. Not even because, even if my content is legit and, you know, is is basically, you know, on the line, knowing that the people around me are out here writing garbage or putting out content that's fueling or stoking, like, polarizing ideas and popular... That would not settle well with me. How are we going to do drinks after work if I hate you all? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. No, like, so. how are we going to do drinks after work if I hate you all? This is not, this in itself as an environment does not lend itself for my, like, to good mental health. Yeah. Um. So that's what I can say as individual journalists. And I think, because sometimes it's often quite a, a debate because I do have colleagues, I have worked with colleagues that have worked for the likes of the Daily Mail and the Sun or News of the World in their, in, in, in its heyday. Um, and you know, their defense typically is I was a young reporter. I needed a job. That's what was available. And it's like, that's cool. But mm. I've been a young reporter. I've needed a job. I didn't go there. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's for them to reconcile with ultimately. Okay. So you think the your individual journalistic integrity is of like paramount importance? Paramount. Okay. Top tier. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I need to sleep well. So so that always leads me first and foremost when it comes to stories that I take, opportunities that I go for, where I pitch, where who I want to work with, mm. that above all else because long after, like, all I have is my name. Yeah. Because, and, and that's the the fun part, I guess, of, I always joke that when they're like, what's your location? I'm like, oh, I'm in the byline. Like, that's my location. Like, all they have is a name. Mm. Like, I'm not a face, I'm not a personality, I'm not out here trying to be an influencer or any of those things, but I have my name. So when you see my name attached to a piece of content, you know, it's either going to make you feel good. It's going to make you smile or it's going to make you think, or it's going to make you um, inquisitive. It's going to make you ask questions. I don't want to, or if it's, or it's going to make you angry, but for the right reasons, it's going to make you angry to want to do something. Mm. Um, I'm not here trying to put out content that's going to divide people. Okay. That's just my personal yeah. prerogative. What if you had a particular strong belief or perspective on something? Or do you just think that, because that doesn't fit into the type of stuff you want to write, you just won't write about it. I think a particular strong opinion, it depends on what it is, because okay. I'm quite strong about, I feel quite strongly about black people giving blood. Okay. Um, that's not a polarizing thing, if that makes sense. There are certain mm. things, I don't think there's anything wrong with having like a strong passion or a strong interest. That's why people have their beats. Some people, my beat is, some people's beat is technology. Some people's beat is comedy. Some people's beat is, you know, the experience of Muslim women. Um, that speaks to a passionate interest in them. My beat is not divide, dividing people. And I think that's currently where we're at with the media and why we have a, a lot of frictions. There are things, there is content literally being put out there to divide and polarize people. Yeah, And it's further fueling that kind of climate that we're currently in, where there's no space for the moderate. There's no space for the, oh, well, I thought this, but I changed my mind now. No, it's you're either here or there. Yeah. Uh, and, and that middle ground 
is trying to be wedged. But I think I will say I think people are starting to get tired of fighting all the time. And that's what I can hope for. People get tired of fighting and say, let's reclaim this middle ground where everyone your opinions can coexist. Mm. Um because that's what the way the, that's the way the way the world was not that long ago. But now I don't yeah. know why I'll go on for people. It's true. It feels like more and more particularly over the last few years. Yeah, the last few years have become... been incredibly polarizing. Mm. Incredibly polarizing. And the media has definitely played a role in that. Yeah. Where do you think that's come from though? Just on a societal level in general. I would say I feel like things society generally as a is a pendulum of ideas, like ideologies. It swings back and forth. Okay. Um I think to my nearest account i would probably trace it back to occupy wall street um as one of those first moments at least in my years of living where i started to kind of become aware of this thing. i think you've always known about things like sweatshops or you, well, you haven't always known you went your mom got you clothes and you wore your clothes yeah and then but then things like how much your clothes costs to make and how, who's getting paid and who's not getting paid as we got older, those ideas started. I, I don't recall ever hearing my mom say, Do you know they paid 35 pence to the person who made the trainers? <laughs> like, I never, we never yeah. got that talk. Like, I wasn't raised in that kind of household. My parents worked and just worked and worked and worked some more. But as I became aware and more starkly beyond just the, oh, the homeless guy down your road, you start thinking more globally about global poverty. And global differences, the rich, the poor, the north, the south, the western world, the third world. All these ideas about division start to become clearer to you as you read more or become more aware. And, you know, it's it's quite interesting how the British media has now kind of hijacked the concept woke and yes. started using it almost as like a pejorative, like mm. an insult, like this massive inconvenience that a generation of the world is becoming more attuned to global injustices or injustices global and local and maybe those that came before us or at least a small period because we stand on the shoulders of incredible activism a lot of the stuff that we enjoy now has has become come by the way of activists um and i think that there was a period where it wasn't quite that or at that level and now activism activism became a thing again i think that's what i was coming back to i think occupy wall street was my first kind of modern remembrance of activism all over again and these people were out here in these streets for a very long time and say what you want about the movement um and you know where it's at now but the rise of activism i find sometimes prompts a pushback from the status quo sure and there's been this constant fight between those who want to maintain things the way that they are and those who envision a different a different path. So I think that's where we're at. That's where the polarism has come from. Because mm. um, that's the only thing that you can kind of use to kind of explain, I guess, ideologically, ideo- ideologically the swing from a black American president to Trump. Yeah. You know, it's the pushback. You have progression to some people on one side and then you have the response to that kind of progression. Like, oh no, you don't. You ain't, you're definitely not going to give me a woman as a president either. You know where we're going? We ain't even going moderate white. We're going right white. <laughs> all like, the way to the back. We're yeah. going all the way to this side of the spectrum. Um, and we see the, the same here. You know, some of the rhetoric that's being entertained or being 
just stood by or, or not even being questioned in public discourse sometimes scares me and i'm like mm. how you, you're talking about oh we have to have a balanced and fair debate like there is no way to balance and fair debate racism it's it's yeah. wrong especially when the stuff that you are allowing as part of your balanced and fair debate is very much not balanced and yeah, fair it, it, it's terrifying yeah uh, but that's where we're at um a battle between people who want things the way that they are or want to reclaim because i think and slowly but surely there's been small erosions and that's just a, a natural product of changing demographics mm. things are changing and that's why you see people like say you see people on the other side say before you know it Britain's not going to be a white country anymore <laughs> we're going to be a minority in our own country yeah you know those are the fears uh, of people that they're going to lose their country out to brown and black people um, so there's this pushback and you have media that play into that. Yeah. Who talk about, oh my God, Birmingham's got so many Muslim people. I just like, <laughs> really? Yeah. How do you think we fight that agreement though? Especially if the media is not oh. kind of at the center where it should be. So for example, if you have instances where people have particular views about groups of people, mm. um, like there was a story that came out today where apparently the NHS can now refuse to treat Service, people yep, who are racist, um, who are racist or, sexist. or sexist, homophobic, things like that, mm. which I think is great and fair, makes a lot of sense. But then there's a lot of pushback from random people who, I don't know, seem to believe they have a right to act however they want and still be treated for it for free, which doesn't make sense to me. But I think it's the fact that a lot of the time when you have people that have views like that or, oh, these people are stealing our jobs. But then if... I think generally, kind of what you were saying with the pushback, the media's job, in my personal view, should then be to present kind of where the middle ground is mm. and say, okay, this is what you're thinking, but this is actually where, you know, this is the moderate viewpoint. Even if it is slightly to the right or slight, slightly to the left, yeah, it's kind of closer to the middle. Whereas the issue then for me is that when you have media outlets that are pushing stuff that's very much to the right, or even very much to the, the left, left. Yeah. Um, that polarization effect distorts people's viewpoints. And it means that people don't necessarily understand that. Cause I think there's a lot of people, for example, that are racist, mm. but they also understand that being racist is wrong. If you get what I mean. Mm. And they know that their views are not the norm, but they're happy to hold on to their views. Mm. But I think there's becoming more of an issue where people, because racism and some of these instances are being excused so much, like we've had even quite recently people that were putting racist opinions in the news or saying racist things while on some of these big national platforms. Yeah. And the issue is that when it's defended, then it means that people don't necessarily realize that. That it's wrong. Or they don't realize that their views are far from the norm yeah. as they should. They now feel that, okay, because people are defending me and people are defending what I've said, Actually, there's nothing wrong with what I've said. Yeah. And so suddenly it reinforces their belief that, you know, it's okay to believe that black people, you know, are have less intelligent than inferior thinking capacity. Yeah. That they're less intelligent mm. or that, um, I think even when we were talking about with Brexit, but also just very m much more recently with Preeti Patel and her immigration reform things, it was very interesting because there's a lot of liberal people that are responding to that. Mm. 
saying things like, oh, but now who's going to wash your cars and who's going to clean your dishes? And it's like, is that all you think immigrants yeah. should be doing in yeah. this country? And that's what I mean in, in the dichotomy where there's people that are meant to be on the left, that are meant to be thinking that, oh, actually, you know, it's wrong to kick people out of the country or it's wrong to, you know, treat people a certain way because of the colour of their skin or mm. things like that. But actually, a lot of the time I feel like when you inspect their views a lot closer, it's actually not that much different to the other people's views. All your belief is that they should be allowed to stay and they should be domestic help. Yeah. Like that's pretty much... It's like that's... Um, have you seen that clip from The View where mm. Kelly Osborne is like, and if you deport all the Mexicans, Donald Trump, who is going to wash <laughs> your toilet? And yeah. the host is the hosts are kind of like, oh no, no, that mm. was a bad example. And she was like, no, because and she's trying to backtrack. And she she spent so long in her ivory tower that she doesn't realize all the problem. I'll I'll be quite frank and say, left, right, there are problems on all sides of the spectrum. Like mm. there is no perfect point if we're talking about ideology as a spectrum. There is nowhere on this spectrum that is non that it doesn't have its problems sure. that cannot be problematic with enough subversion or with enough effort um i think coming back to your original point like what you expect the media to do as far as taking up a centrist or neutral position yeah or just I finding mean, a balance or, or fo- finding a balance i'll say there are resources out there that are things like full fact fact check etc yeah um and and publications that would say are would argue that they occupy the middle i think the issue is there are people out here deep diving headfirst into misinformation on their own accord yeah they know that there's the truth but they don't care because this suits them much more appropriately and this fits them and their position much nicer and neater than the discomfort of coming from their own dogma and adopting a more neutral position or a more reasoned position yeah. This isn't very few of the arguments that we're currently having are based in reason or rationale. Because if they were, then I was going to say, well, Brexit wouldn't be happening, but <laughs> I don't even want to get into it. Yeah. But I would say if ultimately in the same way that I talk about these, these publications or these different sides being the sum of individual agents who, no matter what they say, they do not leave their biases at home and come to work. And the reason why some of them are able to comfortably work for certain publications is because they align with them philosophically, ideologically. Mm. And they're run by people who also have very strong opinions and have the cash to back it up and have the cash to essentially orchestrate the, the, their media arm, as it were, that's going to that's gonna carry on, that's going to pump that same opinion out to people. You know, you can have the same story and have a left-wing paper, a, a left-leaning paper and a right-leaning paper just do complete opposite takes of it. Yeah. A complete polarizing opposite takes of it because this is this is the agenda that they're, that they're designed for. And at the heart of it, they think they're doing what the world needs or they think they're doing the right thing. Because sometimes as well, it, it's... Because people are fickle. I'll say that from the start. Like people are fickle. I've learned that from working in the newsroom. I've learned that. I remember at the time when we when I'd work at The Voice, um, we might publish a story about like a, a a youth being killed, 
and the comments would be filled with why can't you guys find some positive stories to tell yeah. why is it always gun violence and knife violence and youth violence and then it will be okay but on the site there's this girl who's just graduated from Cambridge and is going to Harvard You, that's got 15% of the clicks or 15% of the traffic that this story about this young boy being killed has. Right. Oh, there's also the story about this woman who opened her own business. Oh, did you see this feature on Black Dads? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the rhetoric wouldn't match up with the traffic. So sure. that's why I say people will be fickle. Okay. Or we'll do like focus groups. How can we improve the paper? How can we do this? How can we improve the site? Oh, you guys need to do more di- more food recipes. You guys need to do more of this, that, that. Oh, you mean like here, here and here? Hmm. where we've done it consistently week after week. So I always take public opinion with a pinch of salt. Um, but I maintain like some people like head first into dogma, like head first into misinformation because that is way more comfortable than anything that requires them to think differently or, or challenge their thinking or challenge what they've always known. And I always say we as a people, because I'm not going to sit here and act like my ideas are perfect. I'm constantly in a state of learning and unlearning and navigating a newsroom as to how best I can use my voice and my platform to inform with a question mark. And by that, I mean inform in a way that allows readers to make their own conclusions at the end of it. Hmm. And I think that's why news reporting at its core should be relatively straight cut. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please do stay tuned for more. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps the podcast. And follow me on Twitter. Feel free to shoot me any thoughts. See you next time. Is it just sneakers that sneak into your mind? Or is it your kind of creativity from the midsole to your very soul before you unfold a vision on the XPS? Within the styles and rubber, you're putting one foot in front of the other to create the track and the tread for all the thoughts in your head, turning ideas into action and gaining more traction with the XPS. Get into your universe at dell.com slash XPS. Verified for exceptional experiences with Intel Evo platform. Circle K is America's thirst stop, and yours, especially when the weather gets, and you need to stay, stay refreshed on the go with ice cold Circle K favorites, like freshly ground iced coffee, Froster, Polar Pop Cup, and more. And right now at Circle K, save on all 20 ounce Pepsi products, three for $4.25. When life's go, 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 make us your first stop, because Circle K is America's thirst stop.